Section 56 of Man and Wife. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Saina Qadiani. Man and Wife by Wiki Collins. 16th Sin. Chapter the 48. The Place. Early in the present century, it was generally re reported among the neighbors of one Ruben Limbrick that he was in a fair way to make a comfortable little fortune by dealing in salt. His place of abode was in Staffordshire, on a morsel of freehold land of his own, appropriately called Salt Patch. Without being absolutely a miser, he lived in the humblest manner, saw very little company, skillfully invested his money, and persisted in remaining a single man. Toward 1840, he first felt the approach of the chronic malady which ultimately terminated his life. After trying what the medical men of his own locality could do for him, with very poor success, he met by accident with a doctor living in the western suburbs of London, who thoroughly understood his complaint. After some journeying backward and forward to consult his gentleman, he decided on retiring from business and on taking up his abode within an easy distance of his medical men. Finding a piece of freehold land to be sold in the neighborhood of Fulham, he bought it, and had a cottage residence built on it, under his own directions. He surrounded the whole, being a man singularly jealous of any intrusion on his retirement, or of any chance observation of his ways and habits, with a high wall which cost a large sum of money, and which was rightly considered a dismal and hideous object by the neighbors. When the new residence was completed, he called it after the name of the place in Staffordshire, where he had made his money, and where he had lived during the happiest period of his life. His relatives, falling to understand that the question of sentiment was involved in this proceeding, appealed to hard facts, and reminded him that there were no salt mines in the neighborhood. Reuben Limbrick answered, so much the worse for the neighborhood, and persisted in calling his property Salt Patch. The cottage was so small that it looked quite lost in the large garden all around it. There was a ground floor and a floor above it, and that was all. On either side of the passage, on the lower floor, were two rooms. At the right-hand side, on entering by the front door, there was a kitchen, with its outhouses attached. The room next to the kitchen looked into the garden. In Ruben Lindbergh's time, it was called the study and contained a small collection of books and a large store of fishing tackle. On the left-hand side of the passage, there was a drawing room situated at the back of the house and communicating with a dining room in the front. On the upper floor, there were five bedrooms, two on one side of the passage corresponding in size with the dining room and the drawing room below, but not opening into each other, three on the other side of the passage consisting of one larger room in front and of two small rooms at the back. All these were solidly and completely furnished. Money had not been spared, and workmanship had not been stinted. It was all substantial and upstairs and downstairs it was all ugly the situation of salt patch was lonely the lands of the market gardener separated it from other houses jealously surrounded by its own high walls the cottage suggested even to the most unimaginative persons the idea of an asylum or a prison Ruben Limbrick's relatives, occasionally coming to stay with him, found the place prey on their spirits, and rejoiced when the time came for going home again. They were never pressed to stay against their will. Ruben Limbrick was not a hospitable or sociable man. He set very little value on human sympathy in his attacks of illness, and he bore congratulations impatiently in his intervals of health. I care about nothing but finishing, he used to say. I finish my dog very good company, and I am quite happy as long as I am free from pain. 
on his deathbed he divided his money justly enough among his relations the only part of his will which exposed itself to unfavorable criticism was a clause conferring a legacy on one of his sisters then a widow who had estranged herself from her family by marrying beneath her the family agreed in considering this unhappy person as undeserving for notice or benefit her name was hester dittridge it proved to be a great aggravation of hester's offences in the eyes of hester's relative when it was divorced that she possessed a life interest in salt patch and an income of two hundred a year not visited by the surviving members of her family living literally by herself in the wall hester decided in spite of her comfortable little income on letting lodging the explanation of this strange conduct which she had written on her slate in reply to an inquiry from anne was the true one i have not got a friend in the world i dare not live alone in that desolate situation and with that melancholy motive she put the house into an agent's hands the first person in want of lodging whom the agent sent to see the place was perry the trainer and hester's first tenant was geoffrey de the rooms which the landlady reserved for herself were the kitchen the room next to it which had once been her brother's study and the two small back bedrooms upstairs one for herself the other for the servant girl whom she employed to help her the whole of the rest of the cottage was to let it was more than the trainer wanted but hester dithridge refused to dispose of her lodgings either as to the rooms occupied or as to the period for which they were to be taken on other than her own terms perry had no alternative but to lose the advantage of the garden as a private training ground or to submit being only two in number the lodgers had three bedrooms to choose from geoffrey established himself in the back room over the drawing-room perry chose the front room placed on the other side of the cottage next to the two smaller apartments occupied by hester and her maid under this arrangement the front bedroom on the opposite side of the passage next to the room in which geoffrey slept was left empty and was called for the time being the spare room as for the lower floor the athlete and his trainer ate their meals in the dining room and left the drawing-room as a needless luxury to take care of itself the foot race once over perry's business at the cottage was at an end his empty bedroom became a second spare room the term for which the lodgings had been taken was then still unexpired on the day after the race geoffrey had to choose between sacrificing the money or remaining in the lodgings by himself with two spare bedrooms on his hands and with a drawing-room for the reception of his visitors who called with pipes in their mouths and whose idea of hospitality was a pot of beer in the garden to use his own phrase he was out of sorts a sluggish reluctance to face change of any kind possessed him he decided on staying at salt patch until his marriage to mrs glenarm which he then looked upon as a certainty obliged him to alter his habits completely once for all from fulham he had gone the next day to attend the inquiry in portland place and to fulham he returned when he brought the wife who had been forced upon him to her home such was the position of the tenant and such were the arrangements of the interior of the cottage on the memorable evening when Anne Lester entered it as geoffrey's wife end of section fifty six